Proverbs chapter 13. Look, look at this one verse with me. And I, I just want to be an encouragement and help again and, and kind of build off of this morning's message and hopefully use this just to encourage you tonight. Proverbs 13, verse 12, the Bible says, Hope deferred, it maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred, the end result is a sick heart. But when our hopes are realized, when that desire comes, it's a tree of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity again to be in your house tonight and to open up your word. Lord, I don't know that we could ever adequately say thank you enough for what you do in our hearts and lives through your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for preachers that stand up and declare it. Thank you for using them, even though they're sinful, finite beings, that you somehow are able through the foolishness of preaching to accomplish your work. I'm so very thankful for that. So God, I pray again tonight that you would just use this portion of scripture, use these few moments that we have together to be a help and, and an encouragement to us and remind us of this wonderful truth that is here in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have you ever got your hopes set on something only to have them crushed? I remember when I was in Bible college, the second semester of my first year is when I first started dating my wife, Lisa. And it was really a, a wonderful relationship from the very beginning. And in like many relationships, we, we went out on one date and it did not take very long in that date to realize that we liked each other and we wanted to spend as much time as we could around each other. And so we went out on our first date on Valentine's Day. And then for the rest of February, March and April, our relationship just continued to build and continued to get stronger to the point and that I desired to stay in Springfield where I was going to college uh, that summer. She would be going home to Dallas where her family lived. And it, but it was only about five hours away and I'd be able to travel from Springfield to Dallas most weekends or at least a couple of weekends a month and spend some time with her and be able to see her quite often throughout the summer. The thought of going back home to Colorado and her being in Texas and not seeing each other, uh, I, I didn't like that thought. So my idea and, and goal and desire was I'll just stay here and I'll work. And I had this phenomenal job that was very difficult to get, uh, delivering pizzas for Domino's. And, and so, you know, you don't want to give up an opportunity like that. You don't know when another one will come up. And so we had it all set. And our summer was planned and we'd already begin to look at dates and, and, and when we were going to meet up and when we could spend times together and when her family was vacationing and sometimes I could spend there. And then about a month prior to school getting out, just about the time we're in the height of making all of these arrangements, I was playing softball in a church softball league. And, and I don't know, you, you shouldn't ever get hurt in softball, but I did. I blew out my knee and completely wiped it out and going over first base, got tangled up with the first baseman. I'm sure it was his fault and, and completely blew out my knee and ended up the last week of school having a very major knee surgery. Well, I wasn't going to be able to stay and deliver pizzas. I really wasn't going to be able to do a lot of anything. And so my parents said, you're probably just going to have to come home for the summer. 
And so I did. Uh, and the farmer that I grew up working for said, you can just come and, and work on the tractor. Or you don't really need your legs too much to drive a tractor all day. And so that's what I did. I, I went out to the farm and went home, went out to the farm. And uh, he had an apartment on the back of his barn. I lived there and, and six days a week. And I worked all day, every day for this farmer. He wanted the tractors greased up, ready to go by 5.30. He wanted us in the fields by 6. And you worked all the way until the sun went down sometimes later, got a few hours sleep, did it over and over and over again. This was the day before cell phones. This was the day before you could communicate. So I, I went from going to see my wife, wife or my girlfriend at that time, seeing her often throughout the summer, to now, not only am I not seeing her, but I'm going weeks at a time without even being able to have conversation with her. And I'm telling you, it was just long, long, lonely days on that tractor thinking, I don't like this at all. So finally, we were able to get on the phone and arrange a time late in the summer that she was going to come out and she was going to spend a week with me. And the farmer had already agreed. He'd let me off a week early to go back to college. And so we were going to be able to spend an entire week together. And in Colorado, I was going to be able to show her my home and take her up into the mountains. And, and I mean, I am excited about this. So for three weeks, we planned this. For three weeks, I was on the tractor. I dreamed of the day I was going to pick her up from the airport. All the things we were going to do, I had every day, because this is the way I am, I had every day planned out exactly where we were going to do, what we were going to do, how we were, I mean, it was all planned out. And every day on the tractor, I'd think 13 days, 12 days, 11 days. Oh man, only a week left to go. And I got more and more excited. Finally, the day came. She was flying in. Got with my parents. We didn't have an airport in my little town that she could fly into. So we had to drive two hours to Farmington, New Mexico. Until I got in that car, it seemed like that trip to Farmington took seven hours. It was only two hours, but I'm like, let's go, dad, let's go, let's go. The day's here. I can't wait to see her. I've been waiting all summer to spend time with this girl. And I was so excited. We get to the airport where they're like an hour early. I can't sit down. I am pacing back and forth. I mean, I am just so excited. Every plane that comes in, which is only one. I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm like, maybe she's on that one. Maybe she got on an earlier flight, but finally her plane lands. This was back before TSA, so I mean, I'm at the window. I watched that plane land. I watched them put down the ladder. I watched people starting to get off, and I mean, I am so excited. My heart's racing about a thousand miles an hour. I'm thinking, this is it. Finally, I've waited for this all summer. Here it is. She's the next one out. Okay, she's the next, no, the next one. Now she's the next one. And one person after another got off that plane, and finally, people stopped getting off that plane. I thought, well, I know she's slow, but that's like really, really slow. She should be off by now. And after about 20 minutes waiting for her to get off the plane after everybody else, finally a name comes over the intercom or a voice comes over the intercom and says, uh, could Jim Preston please come up to the counter calling for my dad? I thought, well, that's odd. So he goes up to the counter, he gets on the phone. They said, you have a phone call. He gets on the phone and he begins to talk to somebody on the other end. And I, I hear him and yes, okay. Well, that's, that's unfortunate. Is she okay? Everything's good? And I'm like, what, what? And so he finally gets off the phone 
Come to find out, my wife had got on the plane in Dallas. They had begun to taxi out into the runway, and she had a major seizure, an allergic reaction to some medication that she had taken. And they had to turn the plane around, get paramedics to take her off the plane. And she was at an emergency room in Dallas. Talk about having your hopes crushed. Two hours in the backseat of a car. All the way back to Cortez. Dan, how you doing back there? Not talking. I don't want to talk to anybody. I may. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to deny or it at all or, or admit it. But I mean, there may have been, you know, some dusty eyes or something in the back of that car. I was crushed. See, we all know what it is like. Some way, some fashion, somehow, you know what it's like to get your hopes up towards something only to have them crushed. Only to have what you had hoped for not come to fruition. You put a contract on that house. You hoped they would accept it. You were so excited. You kept the phone right next to you. You're just waiting for them to, the realtor to call and say, they've accepted your offer. And hour after hour goes by and your hopes get larger and larger only to have them call and say, I'm sorry. Someone's come in with a larger offer and they've accepted that. Tried to buy a car and it fell through. You thought you were going to get a promotion and it, it didn't go through. You, you had a relationship and you thought this was the one and, and, and it didn't work out. I'm just saying the list could go on and on. I'm not a doom and gloom preacher, but I can state clearly tonight that, that life is full of disappointments. Nobody's going to go through life without them. There are times when we get our hopes up towards something where our hopes fail, where our, our, our hopes are not realized. And sometimes that's just because God is protecting us for something better. But that's not what this verse is talking about. See, this verse is talking about the idea of hopes not failing, not our hopes being shattered, but our hopes being deferred. The word deferred, it means to prolong. It means to draw out. This is speaking of when desires or hopes or expectations, how they're not realized in a time frame that we would desire. And the result of that, when we get our hopes set up on something and they don't come to fruition in the time frame in which we would hope they would come to fruition, when we see those hopes prolonged and we continue to wait and wait and wait for those hopes to become a realization, the Bible says that the end result of that is it makes the heart sick. The heart sick. But there's another side of that. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. So we have hope deferred, but we also have hope realized. That's when our expectations for which someone has longed for, when they've hoped for, they desired for when it comes to pass. 
And according to this text, it sparks a new life in them. It's a tree of life that energizes them. It inspires them to keep going. It's like if you look out even around our community, your community, you're going to see all bunch of trees and they're just starting to get little blooms on them. And they've been dormant all summer, winter long, but now spring is coming and, and, and you're beginning to see life. And before too long, you're going to see these blooms get larger and leaves begin to bud forth and it's going to scream life. That's that's the idea here that it brings forth life. And so I'm going to have a couple of helpers come up here just to, to help, uh, help with this and, and to give this example. Brother Harris said he bailed these guys out of jail this afternoon. And um, so would you just stand over here with this sign? And I'm going to have you stand over here with this sign. So we all have hopes. We all have desires. We all have dreams. Many times they're godly. There's nothing wrong with having a, a desire for something, hoping for something, get, getting our, our, our high hopes set on something. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but what we have to realize, there are going to be some times in this life where our hopes do not come to fruition in a time frame that we would hope that they would come to. And so we're going to see our hopes deferred. And when that happens and you're over here in, in this world and your hopes are deferred and they're not being realized in a time frame in which you'd want them to be realized, it can really cause a hurt heart. Sickening feeling. It can be discouraging. I don't like to use the word depressing. Maybe that's too strong. But it's discouraging you down. It's, 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 a, it's a weight that's on you. It, it stills some of the excitement for life and for living life because you're, you're so desirous for this thing that you have set your hopes on to come to pass, but yet each and every day that passes and it doesn't come to pass, it, it just weighs on you more and more. But then there's a, another side of that hope that, that if we'll wait and, and, and we'll put our eyes on God and, and we'll see how God works, that, that we may just come over here to this side and the time will come where we'll see our hopes realized. Where that thing that we had hoped for, that thing that we had desired, that it will come to pass. And when it does, I mean, it's like a jolt of new life within us. And it causes an excitement that we cannot hide. I'll let you guys be seated for a moment. I'll have you come back up in a minute. See, there's tons of biblical examples for this truth. Tons of biblical examples. I know you just bailed these guys out of jail. Are they trustworthy back there? Don't, don't be stealing anything. What about Naaman? Naaman, here he is, and he's got a leprosy. There's, there's little hope of any type of recovery. But he goes home one day and and, and this little maid says, would to God that you are with the prophet that's in Samaria because he could heal you of his leprosy. And, and his wife comes in and begins to say, you know, there's a prophet down in Samaria that, that, can, that can heal you. And, and this little girl's convinced of it. And, and so he gets his hopes up. And so much so, we know he gets his hopes up that he gathers some things together and he makes a journey all the way down to Samaria. And he goes to the home of Elisha with his hopes set 
high that I'm going to go to this man and he's going to slap his hands. He's going to do something big and my leprosy is going to go away and his hopes are up and I can just see him going and knocking on the door waiting for Elisha to come to the door. But Elisha doesn't come to the door. Gehazi does. The servant there says, Elisha's not going to see you. But he said, just go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. We can tell by the reaction of Naaman that his hopes were deferred. Immediately his heart got sick. Immediately discouragement set in. Immediately frustration set in. Immediately maybe even some anger set in. This isn't the way this was supposed to go. I made this whole trip to see this man. This man wouldn't even come out and see me. And now he's telling me to go down here into this muddy water and wash. This makes no sense to me. And you can see him. His hopes are deferred. And had it not been for some of his servants that said, Naaman is worth a try. Naaman may have went back home and never seen his hopes realized. But because his servants convinced him, he went and he dipped in the Jordan seven times. And on that seventh time, what happened? His hopes were realized. Can you imagine how it must have been when he came out of the water that seventh time? What that did to him what that did inside of him. We could use Joseph as an illustration. When he interpreted the dream for the butcher and the baker, he was falsely imprisoned. He, he's there. He, he, he seems to be forgotten. And then this butcher and this baker come in and they have these dreams and he's able to interpret the dreams. And he knows because of the interpretation of this dream that these men are going to be standing before Pharaoh within just hours. And, and this is going to be his opportunity because they see that the hand of God is on him and they see that he can answer these dreams and the, the, that he is used of God. He'll get in front of Pharaoh and they'll put in a good word and Pharaoh will come and take him out of prison. And exactly what he prophesied would happen, happened. Butcher and Baker leave prison. He's waiting. They're going to come. They'll be here. No, they're going to put in a good word for me. This is my last night here. Tomorrow I'm going to be set free. But you remember what the Bible told us. They forgot about him. We, we don't know exactly how far the time, how long the time frame was, but I know this. When the butcher and the baker left, his hopes were up, but as soon as he realized that they weren't going to do anything about it, the hopes were deferred, and he was crushed. He couldn't have helped but been heart sick. But the day did come, didn't it? The day did come when they remembered him. One of them remembered him. And I can only imagine again when they finally came into prison and said, Pharaoh's asking for you. Clean yourself up. He wants to talk to you. How his hopes had been realized and what that did inside of him. But I don't want to focus so much on those two. Let, let me focus on two others very quickly tonight. In Genesis chapter number 12, God called Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai at that time, to leave everything that they had known and to follow God. At that time, Abraham was 75, Sarah was 65. A part of God's promise was that, they would, that, that if they would follow him and they would step out on this journey of faith, that God would do two things for Abram and Sarai. That God would first and foremost, he would give them a seed that would become a mighty and great nation as the stars are in the sky and as the sand is on the shore in number. God would multiply their seed and give them a seed that would be something incredible. 
And then God would also give them a land. I can only imagine that, that Abram didn't have to do much convincing of Sarah to get her to leave. Because God said, you leave, I'll give you a child. She's 65 years of age. She had concluded, I'm never going to have a child. I'm, I'm past that stage. That ship has sailed. This isn't going to happen for me. It wasn't in the cards for me that I could ever have a child. And she had given up on it. And now the almighty God of heaven had showed up on the scene and said, we're going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a child. All you got to do is step out by faith. And I can only imagine what that did to the hopes of Sarah. I mean, talk about excitement. They leave on this journey. Month after month after month. Sarah must have waited thinking, this is the month I'll be pregnant. This month, well, maybe next month will be the month. And for 25 years, nothing. Nothing. I don't know at what stage of that journey... Sarah began to lose hope. But we know at one point when some angels showed up and began to talk to her husband that, that said that she's going to have a child, she laughed. She's like, no. And it wasn't a laugh like, hey, my hopes are still up. No, it's like my heart is crushed. Don't do this to me again. You got my hopes up once. This isn't going to happen. But then came the promise of God and with that came hope. The hope was deferred. It was postponed. It was drawn out. Again, 25 years, we see her heart sick. But at 90 years of age, I want you to turn over there with me to Genesis chapter 21. At 90 years of age, Genesis chapter 21, look at these verses. Oh, this is so good. And the Lord, chapter 21, verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of that son that was born in him who Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son uh, Isaac being eight days old as God has commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. But watch this. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. So that all that hear me will laugh with me. She went from hopes deferred for 25 years. But when that day finally came that she's holding Isaac in her hands, it was so much life that had been given back to her that she said, I'm laughing about this. I'm laughing because of what God's done. And everybody that hears this story from here on out, they're going to laugh with me and say, only God could have done something like that. Or how about another story of Mary Magdalene? Mary's first mentioned in scriptures in Luke chapter number eight. L listen to these verses. Don't turn over there for sake of time. But the Bible says, and it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village preaching, showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and certain women, which he had been healed of 
evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. So in these list of women that ministered to Christ, the name Mary Magdalene was mentioned. Mary's life had been radically changed by Jesus Christ. She fell so desperately in love with him that she spent her life serving him so much. The Bible describes it this way, that she followed him wherever he went, ministering unto him of her own substance. It cost Jesus nothing. She said, it, cost, it will cost you nothing. I'm following you. And out of my own substance, out of my own belongings, I'm going to spend my life serving you. And she did exactly that. If you go to the book of John with me, in John chapter number 19, here's what you're going to find. John 19, you're going to find that, that there's only four ladies at the cross of Jesus when he was crucified. In verse 25 of chapter number 19, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Time out, look at me. What was Mary witnessing as she stood there at the cross? What was happening to Mary? Let me tell you what was happening. Her hopes were being deferred. Her hopes were being crushed. She had fallen in love with the Savior. She had anticipated she was going to spend her life serving Him and living for Him. And now in just a short period of time since she's been serving him, now she's standing there with three other ladies and she's looking up at a cross and she's watching as he's being crucified on that cross and he's gasping for his last breath and he's mentioning and speaking his last words. And I'm telling you, you can only imagine what was happening in her heart that day and how sick she was as she watched her hopes and dreams being crushed. Oh, but look here in chapter number 20. Look at verse number 11. But Mary, Jesus has been crucified. He's, he's been buried. It's now the third day. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. See two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus was laying. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back. And she saw Jesus standing. And knew not that it was Jesus. So here she is. She's at the tomb. She is weeping. I, I, this, this is a, a strong word. She is broken. They've taken away my Lord. Somebody's stolen his body away and I don't know where it is and all of my hopes and dreams for who he was and, and, and my love for him, it was all crushed three days ago and, and now it's made even worse because somebody's come and stolen his body away and she turned around and there's a man standing there. She doesn't know. The man asked her, woman, why weepest thou? Why? Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Do you know what happens 
in just a moment of time. She is broken. Her hopes have been deferred. Her hopes have been crushed. They've been drawn out. What she had hoped would happen hasn't happened. And now here she is in a moment of time. One word, Mary. She looks up. It's the Savior. And suddenly, new life. A joy and an excitement that she didn't think she maybe would ever experience again. See? Here's what we need to understand. And listen, I want to be quick, but I, I want to be thorough tonight. Here's what we need to understand. Can you guys stand back up here for me? You okay? Still, still awake back here? Okay. Here's what I want you to see. There are going to be times in our lives where our hopes are deferred. We get our hopes on something. We get our desires, and, and, and they're godly desires, and, and our hopes are set for them, and we're excited about them. But they don't come true in a time frame in which we had hoped they would come true. When that happens, it breaks our hearts. There's no other way to say it. It breaks our hearts. But between hope deferred and hope realized, here's what I want you to see. Throughout that process, God is still on the throne. And God is still at work. And we may not see why things have to happen in the time frame in which they hap happen. And we may not understand all that the sovereign, providential hand of God is doing. But here's what we need to know. That, that, that we shouldn't give up. We, we shouldn't just throw up our arms and say, if that's the way it's going to be. I, I don't want to serve a God like that. No, we need to hold on. We need to hang on and understand that, yes, things aren't happening right here the way that we'd hoped they'd happen. But if we will hang on, God's at work and we don't know what time he's going to show up and our hopes are going to be realized. But we do know this. If we'll just hang on long enough, in many cases, the time will come and our hopes will be realized. Luke only graduated as a missions major from Heartland Baptist Bible College in the spring of 2007. Shared this with this church before for those that were here. Luke had grown up at Windsor Baptist Church. Upon graduation, Luke went to Florida where he spent two years in an internship there preparing for ministry. In the spring of 2009, Luke returned to Windsor where I was pastoring we sent Luke on a survey trip to England to go there because that's where he knew and was convinced in his heart that God had called him to spend his life planting churches in England. Luke was convinced. His family was convinced. He went. His burden increased. He came back with an excitement to as quickly as he could raise his support and get to the field. He came back, he brought me a couple of gifts. I almost brought them. One was an ugly hat, one was an uglier tie, but I just decided to leave them in my office. But he brought with those an unmatched burden to get back to the field as quickly as he could. As, as Luke came back and 
He spent some months there with me at Windsor Baptist. He would come into my office almost daily and we'd talk about England and, and, and he'd share with me his, his thoughts and his dreams and things about England. And, and it's, you just know when somebody's so excited about something, and that's all they can talk about. And, and so for, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, he just, every day we would get into a conversation and every day it would turn to England and every day he would talk about it. And all that managed to happen through that time was that God took this unmatched burden that Luke only had and God began to instill a burden in my heart so that I was almost as excited about Luke and Rebecca going to England as Luke was. Luke worked with me at the church for several months and then began deputation. That summer we ordained Luke into the gospel ministry and a break in deputation and, and they begin to really begin to raise their support. Rebecca, his wife, was pregnant with their second child and, and she was due the first week of October. And so in setting up his calendar, I encouraged Luke. I said, hey, I want you to clear that time frame around your calendar. I don't want you to be out on the road and you need to be here and Rebecca needs to be here. And, and that's something you don't want to miss. So I want you to clear your calendar. So he did. And on October 5th, Rebecca gave birth to a baby boy. It was a Monday. On October 9th and 10th, we left as a church group to go to Stillwater, Oklahoma to the Amen Conference or to the Men's Advance rather. No, yeah, Men's Advance. I'm not going to spend much time on this part of the story because many of you know it. But on the way home from the Men's Advance that year, on October 10th, our church was involved in a horrific automobile accident that injured many, many of our church members and it killed Luke only. I shared my testimony with many, used it in sermon illustrations many times about the accident and how it affected me and what God taught me through it. But one thing that I've not discussed very often is that the greatest disappointment in all of it was the disappointment that Luke and Rebecca were never going to be able to go to England. That this burden that God had now placed on my heart to go to England, it was gone. God hadn't called me to go there, but I was partnering with this young man. I loved him. And, and, and now in, in, in one weekend, in, in one day, in, in one moment out on I-70, his life is taken away. And, and, and our hopes of sending out a missionary, our hopes of sending him to England, our, our hopes of having a church is planted in England uh, out of our church, they were all gone. And it crushed me. Last years, I've thought about England so many times. And every time I think about it, my heart is sick because I know that by now, Luke would have been over there and a church would have been planted and all that would have happened. And instead, nothing. Two years ago, had the opportunity to go with Aaron and Jerry Denson and Dave and Grace Hardy to Scotland to see some missionaries. And then we got on a train and from that train in Scotland, we took it across the countryside in Scotland and ended up in London. Uh, 
We spent three days together in London. Really a trip of a lifetime just because of the people I was with. But also, I mean, who doesn't want to go to Scotland? Who doesn't want to go and and see those sites? And it, it was incredible. But as we walked through the streets of London, as we rode the tube and, and, and we, we went through the crowded streets, every day, seemingly hundreds of times a day in my imagination, I, I would think, I should be here with Luke and Rebecca. We should be visiting Luke and Rebecca. And as great of a trip as it was, It just stirred that sickness in my heart all over again and it brought it back fresh and anew. About eight years ago, a group from Heartland came through and sang there at the church in Windsor. Had all the guys stay at my house. My wife was out of town, so I had them all stay at my house. And we stayed up all night playing silly games and fell in love with all of the young men, but there was one there that he was a big knucklehead from Abilene, Texas. And I'm just telling, I just couldn't help but fall in love with the kid. He annoyed me to this day. He's the greatest annoyance in my life, but I love him. He's like the chubby little brother I always wanted. We talked shortly after he left there and I said, hey, why, why don't you consider coming back to Windsor and working with me? And he said, I'd love that, Brother Dan. But during the process before he could graduate, God moved me to Lubbock. Well, Brother Denson, as he's prone to do, stole all of my staff. And so I had to get all new staff. And so I called Mr. Colin Hendricks and I said, Colin, how about not Colorado? How about you come just two hours from where you grew up and you serve as a youth pastor and do my music at Bethany? And he gladly did. And for the last six years, Colin and I and Miss Callie and their two beautiful children, I tell you, I just, I'm so in love with this family. I mean, it's not just pastor staff. We are family. I think your staff is much the same way. They're, they're my best friends in the whole world. About two years after he was there, he came in my office. He said, I think God's starting to work on our heart and missions. I said, are you sure about that? He said, I'm not sure about it. I said, well, you need to pray about it and don't do anything until you're sure. God wants you on the mission field. He'll make it clear to you. Never really came up again until about six months ago. He walked into my office one day and before he could even sit down on my couch, he started crying. And he said, preacher, I'm... I'm not doubting it anymore. I know that I know that I'm supposed to go to the mission field. I said, Colin, are you sure? He said, without a doubt. I've prayed about it. God has made it so very clear. I know I'm supposed to go to the mission field. I've never had a conversation with Colin about my burden for England, not one time ever. I said, Colin, do you have any idea where God would have you to go? He said, I'm convinced in all my heart that God would have us go play in a church in London, England. And Wednesday of this week, I'll get on a plane and I'll go meet them. They've been there for five weeks and I'll go meet them so that God can show me through them exactly what God wants for their future ministry. Can I just tell you on that day when he said England, 
what that did in my heart. The life that it gave me. I don't understand all that's happened. I don't understand the time frame. I'll never understood why God took Luke home at such a young age. I'll never get all that. But here's what I know. I went through a long period of my life where my heart was sick and my hopes were deferred. But throughout that whole process, God was at work. Years ago, bringing a young man across my path, knitting our hearts, working together, allowing us to work together, working in his heart so the day could come where my hopes could be realized. This plays out in so many ways in your life. Listen, I'm done. But the applications are so many. The day that I wrote this sermon, I went to a funeral for a dear man in our church who had lost his mother to COVID. And I was able to look him in the eye and say, your heart's sick today. But because she was saved, the day's coming where your hope's going to be realized and you'll see her again. I've had other people come and say, preacher, I just don't understand what God's doing. Hey, I don't either. I don't, I'm not a prophet. I, I don't know everything and what God, why God does everything. But I know this, that there's so many times in our lives that we get our hopes crushed because our hopes are deferred. But instead of quitting, giving up, throwing up arms and getting angry at God, here, here's what you need to do. Just hang on. Let God work. Because hope's deferred, it makes the heart sick. But when hopes are realized, it's like a tree of life. So don't give up. Wait. Your hopes will be realized. Every head bowed, every eye.